This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Monday, November 25th. You likely hearing this on Tuesday, November 26th. We are in the middle of... Another slow off season for most of the league. The Atlanta Braves have been pretty much completing their spending for the year in these uh, first few days and weeks of free agency, but everybody else kind of lingering on the periphery, including the Chicago Cubs. But we do have some roster stuff, not necessarily the most exciting roster stuff, but some roster stuff to discuss. We have some organizational infrastructure to discuss, which, Brendan, I have to imagine is all of our listeners' favorite subject. Uh, On the top of the list, no doubt. Yeah, Cubs organizational infrastructure has to be one of our more exciting topics, so very excited about that. And we will uh, just keep plugging away here to keep you caught up on what's going on in the Cubs offseason. Obviously, we are heading closer and closer to the winter meetings where things likely will maybe heat up, perhaps, for the Cubs and other teams. Uh, But a good bit to discuss, even in a somewhat slow offseason. And, Brendan, there's no place that we can begin. Uh, Circling back to our last episode, we talked about some stuff. We talked about Anthony Rizzo getting a dog, Kevin, and and those things. And, and we, we talked about some of the guys having kids. And I, I think it might have been the next day. We did get an announcement that we do have to broach the subject of on this podcast. And that is that Chris Bryant and his wife, Jess, are expecting a baby. Brendan, Chris Bryant is having a son. This is major, major news. Now, do you think Chris Bryant planned this to one-up Kevin Rizzo? Wow, that's quite the I conspiracy know, I theory. Know. I'm just saying the timing is a little odd. It was what, not even 24 hours after Rizzo I think it posted was, him? Yeah, I think it was a couple days. Something like that? But I oh, I look still. at it I look at it more as Chris, both of them are growing their families together. I, I don't look at it as, yes. a, as a competition necessarily, uh, but more of you know them kind of taking big steps in their lives together. Anthony getting what a dog. What if Chris and, names his child Kevin, though? Then, then we have to start questioning this. Right. Or he was going to name his son Kevin and Rizzo Ooh, stole it. Which would be even funnier, I think. Yeah. yeah. I could see Rizzo doing that. 
I I can't. I think they love each other and wouldn't <laughs> do anything like that. But uh, either way, that's that's very exciting. Congrats to Chris and Jess. And I can say this with the utmost certainty: uh, when that boy is born, he will be the Prince of Chicago, and we will all be in love forever. So. That is exciting news. We always are, are here for, I think I said this last time, the wholesome content. We, we love these guys. So that's, that's very cool. Congrats to them. I, I will say on that note, we have not gotten any more pictures of Kevin Rizzo. And like, that's pretty disappointing. That's not great. We need, we need more. Yeah. I, I mean, Anthony, like, come on. You, you can't introduce. You got to DM Rizzo over there. You got to ask for more. Come on. You can't introduce your, your dog to the world and then just take him away like that. It's it's just a, a cruel way of going about things, Anthony. But that, I think, is what we have for the, the wholesome content. If you were looking at uh, at Cubs posts on Sunday, obviously, you know, if you know me or have listened to me at all for the last good while or follow me on Twitter, uh, Kyle Schwarber going to a WWE event dressed as Stone Cold Steve Austin has thrown my personal Cubs player rankings for mm. a real loop in the last 24 hours. Uh, I love Kyle Schwarber, always have, but I wouldn't say he was necessarily near the top of my list of favorite players of this current group. Dressing up as Stone Cold Steve Austin, though, Brendan, is, uh, it's almost like cheating. That That's how much it vaults you up the list. It's an automatic entry into your top five at the very minimum, probably. I would have to go through the list, but I don't think that yeah. that's hyperbolic to say that. I mean, it's a big well, deal. When I saw that on Twitter, that was, I mean, I thought of you the first thing. I'm like, there's no way that this is real, seeing Schwarber dressed up as such. I could right. not believe what I was seeing. It and, was just for you almost. Well, and it's, it's not just like if he had been dressed up as another wrestler, it would have been like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, I like wrestling, like whatever. But specifically Stone Cold Steve Austin, it's like, okay, hold on a second here. Like we have to really... <laughs> I got to reevaluate everything in my life, Brendan. Uh, but that now is the end of the the wholesome content. I think that counts as wholesome content. But either way, that that's the update on that. Now we can transition into actual issues going on with the Cubs. And I and I think the first place to start, Brendan, is these infrastructure changes. And and I know that it's not particularly exciting, but the reason that I want to start there is when we went through the end of the season and I think that first explicit podcast that we did, we were talking about the things we wanted to see change. And especially when Joe Madden was let go, we talked a lot about how that was not going to solve all of the problems, it might not solve any of the problems, right? Like the, the the problems were beyond whatever you thought Joe Madden was or was not doing with this team. We talked about obviously needing roster changes, needing other coaching changes, needing front office changes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason that I want to start here is because the Cubs have done that. And, and I think it's clear in these changes that they have identified that what they were doing, uh, these changes in particular, we've already talked about some of the front office ones and obviously the coaching ones with David Ross and his staff, et cetera. But these changes specifically to the minor league coordinator and coaching 
areas. This is a pretty clear signal from the Cubs that what they were doing was not working, or at least they recognized that. And they recognized, like we and certainly a lot of other outlets talked about, that they were a little bit behind in certain areas and they needed to kind of get up to speed with the new paradigms of where baseball is, uh, specifically with biomechanics, technology, and, and, and things of that nature. So they, they announced, uh, I believe it was five or six new members joining the organization, including the first female coach, Rachel Folden, which is uh, obviously good and exciting news that that kind of change is coming to the Cubs organization. Uh, but it is, sorry, it's more than that. Two, four, six, eight. Eight new names joining the fold in different respects throughout, again, just the minor league organization. Uh, I, I mentioned Rachel Folden. they also getting Casey Jacobson, who was working with Driveline. We talked about Driveline a lot. Obviously, the uh, founder there, Kyle Boddy, joining the Reds to kind of lead their pitching infrastructure. Uh, so perhaps, obviously, I don't know the finer points of Driveline baseball, but perhaps this is the next best thing to having Kyle Boddy join your organization. Someone who is obviously deeply involved there can work with this technology. And again, some other names to permeate the minor leagues going all the way to uh, the Dominican leagues. But I think the important thing here, Brendan, is that the Cubs are recognizing that changes were needed and they are bringing in a lot of big names, at least in this regard, to try and get their organization up to speed. And and that was something that we really wanted to see them do when this offseason began. It's great to see Justin Stone take the reins right away and get the people who he wants to work with. I mean, Justin Stone was saying from day one, even when he was interviewing with other teams, he wanted to bring Rachel Folden with him. That's how important of a piece he believes Folden will be for this team. So you have to be excited about that because that type of familiarity or that type of communion with your with your colleagues in the past carries over to where you end up going. I mean, we saw what happened with the front office with Theo and Jed and Jason. Having that camaraderie, that familiarity from day one, in my mind, is going to really smooth the transition process and kind of rapidly get things going when you have someone you can trust with at multiple levels. So we've seen Justin Stone institute some of the new technology. He was in the Dominican Republic already working with some of the guys. He's getting the guys and, and ladies in with whom he has a lot of familiarity I'm excited, Corey. Yeah. This, this is what we wanted to see. We're seeing, as you said, eight people right there, but it, it extends beyond that. We're seeing outside the organization hires for their new scouting director, for example. So a lot of new names and people even within the system getting more authority with the team. So at least from an infrastructure point of view, it's kind of what we wanted. It's what yeah. we asked for. We asked for sweeping changes. Corey, they made sweeping changes. Right. And and some of these positions are just additional coaches to the already existing staffs, but these particular people are bringing in these different technological, biomechanics, et cetera, backgrounds to sort of round out the staffs, perhaps. But but going back to the point that you made, I think it was uh, Sahadev Sharma from The Athletic that pointed out on Twitter, maybe, that 
these this was all Justin Stone's direction. So I think that that's also important to note because again, like we talk a lot about process versus results, and we'll see what the results are. You you can't look at hires like this and and just this general process and immediately say, oh yeah, great, slam dunk, no question. We'll, we'll see, right? Like these people have to get in and, and do the job. But from a process perspective, it's really good. They, they brought in someone in Justin Stone who has a, a different way of looking at things perhaps than they were before and, and has advanced knowledge in these areas. And they're letting him take over, basically, at least as far as, you know, kind of the pitching infrastructure, especially uh, throughout the minor leagues. And and again, like I said, some of these new hires, uh, you know, they, they have a new Dominican hitting analytics coordinator, things like right. that. Like and, this- and, that, and that's, what, that's what I mean, Corey. Like Stone went to the DR right. and probably handpicked the person based on his experience with the Cubs there. So it's good to see we're in November, right? Like he's making these changes right away. He was hired not even a month ago. And that's good to see. That's what I'm talking about. When you have like Stone get the authority, get the ability to hire who he wants to hire this far in advance, it makes me excited that by February, some guys could already be making those adjustments to be ready for 2020. That's the exciting part for me. Yeah, absolutely. So again, like we'll, we'll see where this all lands out. Uh, obviously, you need to see that these people do a good job in these new positions. But I think they will. when we go back to the beginning of the offseason, what we wanted to see was new voices change, different ways of thinking, and, and I think an acknowledgement that they felt a little bit behind in, in certain directions. So this doesn't automatically catch them up to speed, but it, it's good to see them addressing these things. They, they've moved certain guys around in the highest levels of the front office. They've changed the coaching staff. They have completely changed or at least added to the infrastructure of how they are developing players. And getting back to the Justin Stone thing, and this was something that I think you brought up in in those kind of early offseason discussions, Brendan, was having that consistent voice and consistent way of thinking throughout the organization. Yep. And and that that was where I was going with bringing up that Justin Stone was the leader of all of these hires in, in picking them and, and their roles and things like that. Like that is how you get that. You identify someone whose knowledge and direction you want permeating not just the major league team, but like I said, all the way to the Dominican Republic with the youngest people in the Cubs organization every single level you are going to have people working and thinking and acting on the same level and and within to keep using the same word the same paradigm and and it it did kind of feel like either that was lacking or whatever that paradigm was wasn't exactly up to speed with the cubs uh, you know maybe the last couple of years certainly in 2019 so that i think is really important you you have that main voice in Justin Stone who is kind of driving this and that that language and that philosophy is going to permeate all levels of the Chicago Cubs organization and that is something that we were hoping for and it's 
good to see the Cubs knock that out. And and again, like you watch them kind of progress, right? Like they made some front office changes. They've rounded out the coaching staff. Now they're, you know, getting through with their deeper infrastructure. And eventually, right, I, hopefully we can turn our attention to the actual people that play on the field uh, and that 25 or 40 man roster that will make up the 2020 Chicago Cubs. So baby steps, but it seems like we're getting there, Brendan, to uh, actually dealing with this roster and and, and seeing where it's going to shake out for the Chicago Cubs as we push toward 2020. But I think that's a, a good place to transition, and there there's a number of things that we could talk about here. As I said in the outset, like they haven't really done very much, uh, but they did make some 40-man roster decisions uh, as we headed to the Rule 5 deadline and, and a couple of those notable benchmarks of the MLB offseason. Uh, and I think the notable addition, as they picked up in a trade for cash considerations, was Jarrell Cotton, a, a pitcher from the Oakland Athletics organization. Uh, and, I, and I think this is certainly something that perhaps you are, are more excited to speak on, uh, uh, than me, but uh, I, I think it's it's certainly fine and interesting. You know, uh, he's a former very highly regarded prospect, uh, has had some injury concerns, but I I'm always for the Cubs taking chances on some of these guys. It's it's pretty much a zero risk situation, uh, and if you can tap into yeah. what Cotton was doing in the past, especially like we just talked about with the pitching infrastructure that you're putting into place here, uh, there's certainly potential there. And and we've seen the Cubs have successes with not necessarily those top end relievers and, you know, kind of trying to dig through uh, other teams' prospects and other teams' minor league systems and, and trying to find some diamonds in the rough there. So I think you're certainly hoping for that. But any any strong opinions on this move? Because And, and part of the reason that, that we bring this up is he, in acquiring, he was added to the 40-man roster. So he is occupying a 40-man roster spot. So this is not necessarily just some random person that they're throwing into the bottom levels of the organization. Cotton has one more minor league option left. So the risk is so minimal. What that means is he can be shuttled back and forth from Iowa any any time. So it's a huge depth piece. I think he gets mixed up in names in the past because a lot of the guys the Cubs have brought over that seem to be like, I don't know, like like reclamation type projects, they didn't have those options. And they tended to be guys who were recovering from injuries. Like Drew Smiley never pitched for the Cubs. And we have Kendall Graveman who never pitched for the Cubs. They had those Tommy John backgrounds. Yeah, Cotton does have that. But one, the surgery is behind him. He's recovering. He played for Oakland's AAA squad last year. 18 innings, had a K per nine of almost 13 gave up a lot of runs though his ERA was was around seven but for Cotton he's pitching he's now healthy he's 27 years old and he still has a lot of the same traits that made him an attractive prospect not even four years ago so I, I like the move Corey and the Cubs have had yeah like some recent success with bringing similar guys over who didn't have a roster spot I mean Rowan Wick Rule 5 guy, right? Brad Wick was traded for Carl Edwards Jr. Those two guys are going to be instrumental pieces for 2020. And they were not even 
big and long-term pictures for their teams they used to play for. So I'm ex- I'm excited about Cotton, and I think the the one thing to look for with him is his changeup. Fangraphs rated his changeup as a 70, a 70 on an 80 scale a few years ago. Now, whether that changeup is the same after Tommy John surgery, I, I don't know. Some people said it's not the same, but it was still graded as a 70 out of 80. Pedro Martinez compared Jarrell Cotton to himself. The, the changeup was off the charts, but for some reason, it never translated to whiffs. He had an average whiff rate with his changeup. What I think could be one of the main reasons for bringing him over is maximizing and optimizing that talent. And whether that's in a big leaf, a big relief role or a starting role, who, who knows? But you can always mix and match. You can extend them. You can stretch them out in AAA. Then call them up to the bigs and then send them back down if you need to for positional flexibility. And that is what makes the move, I think, promising and intriguing is you have the flexibility without any of the attachment where if you, you know, want to send it back to Iowa, you don't have to go through waivers. That's a big deal, Corey. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at-home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to HypermaxOxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? HypermaxOxygen.com. That's HypermaxOxygen.com. Yeah, I think the important thing here is is just to note that this is a pretty much a zero risk calculation for the Cubs. Like they they are only giving up a cash consideration for Cotton in this trade, which sometimes is an extremely small amount of money, like extremely small. Yeah. So it's not a big deal in that regard. He has the option. Sometimes I think there's a tendency with moves like this you see the reaction, at least in, in some corners of, of the Cubs world, like, oh, they're being cheap or they're, you know, the, like this doesn't solve their bullpen problems, blah, blah, blah. And it, it, it doesn't have to. It's, it's a low risk move that costs them nothing. It doesn't mean that they're not going to make other moves to address the bullpen. It's just one of perhaps many that they're they're going to to make. But when you can make moves like this that don't really involve much risk, I would make as many of them as you can, right? Like that's how they ended up with some of these guys finding success in the, in the, in the past years. So, I think uh even though it's not flashy or exciting or you know kind of like immediately gratifying in 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 making the Cubs bullpen assuredly better, right? Like you have to resist the urge to I think react that way. It's a, it's a no-risk move. And if it works out, it could be very highly rewarding. So I think that's uh, really the important thing to note here. But Brendan, I want to transition to what seems to be the predominant rumor of 2019, this offseason, going into the 2020 season. This is, uh, uh, it, it certainly hasn't reached that level yet because it would take literal. <laughs> it's getting there. Yeah, you already know where I'm going. Like, I do, I do. It, we need literal years of, of this to reach either level. But this is really feeling like Brian Roberts' uh, Jake Peavy territory. Uh, where the Cubs are just constantly connected to one person, uh, and that person is Whit Merrifield. We we I think talked about this throughout the 
2019 season because his name came up around the deadline, but the Royals decided not to do anything. They, they weren't going to get the, the asking price that they were looking for, but they are coming up again. And I, this is something we've already heard multiple times, like not even necessarily just the same rumor. I, I think earlier in November, we heard uh, from Mark Gonzalez that Merrifield was someone the Cubs were really looking at. I think the word priority was thrown around there. Uh, You know, John Morosi coming back this week and saying there's more discussion on Merrifield. The Cubs are looking at Merrifield. So this is just something we're going to have to deal with, either until he gets traded to the Cubs or somebody else, or the Cubs make some moves that just, you know, make this not something that's going to happen. But until then, uh, this seems like the guy we're going to have to hear about for a while, and you're going to have to think about what you would be willing to part with for Whit Merrifield if the Cubs indeed have him as a priority and decide that this is the direction that they want to go. So I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this. But for me, Brendan, I think that Merrifield is certainly a player who whose skills fit this group. And in a vacuum, I would love to have him. And I, and I have yet to really read anyone that would disagree, I think, with that notion. I, I haven't come across any opinions, really, that are just like, nah, Whit Merrifield's not good. I, I don't want him. I wouldn't take him for anything. So we can kind of like push that portion of the discussion aside. There's not there's not really much debate there. He's a useful player at the very least, uh, especially with what the Cubs are looking for. So to me, the question here is not whether you would want him or not in a vacuum, but what are you willing to give up for him? That seems to be uh, where the real question is. And I think when we talk about the skills that he brings, he's someone that is a good contact hitter. He steals bases, though that number went down in 2019. Uh, hits for average, can play multiple positions, good athlete, etc. Right? So, so bringing in some of those characteristics that the Cubs are looking for. But the reason that there wasn't a move during the last regular season before the trade deadline is that the Royals asking price was considered to be extremely high. Wits on a team-friendly contract uh, that goes until 2022 with a 2023 club option. It's overall a four-year deal for $16.25 million. So the average annual value is just a tick over $4 million. That That's really where the price is, is going to jump because this is just uh, a good bit of control with a very low uh, hit to your payroll uh, just, sounds like something the Cubs might be interested in, right? Uh, so I throw it to you, Brendan, and I guess, again, the question is, what are you willing to part for? How badly do you want Whit Merrifield? Because that just seems like the question that we're going to have to answer. Now, b- before I let you answer, I will caution, right? Like, and I started the conversation with this, Brian Roberts never played for the Chicago Cubs, Right, so we heard that rumor for what felt like a decade, and it never ended up happening. So we may end up talking about this. This is already the second period in which we talked about this with the trade deadline last year. This might all be for naught. It may never happen. It might not even come close to happening. But like I said, this is the main name I think that we keep hearing connected to the Cubs. So I think it's worthwhile to at least pause and say, okay, like what would you be willing to give up? 
He's a 31-year-old second baseman who splits time in the outfield. Now, Whit Merrifield is essentially what the Cubs hoped Albert Omora would become. What I mean, what I mean by that is one, Merrifield bats over 300. Right, he's done so the last two years. He's not someone who's going to walk a lot. He's going to get on base, driven by his batting average. He has some mild power. Sixteen homers last year, seven hundred and thirty-five plate appearances. Twelve the year before, and then nineteen and twenty in two thousand seventeen. So he's someone who's going to hit for average, some mild power. Stole forty-five bases twenty eighteen, twenty last year. Still has the speed, but. One important trait, and I think it's fair that people are pointing out, is a lot of his value is tied to his base running, tied to his speed. What is that going to look like as a 33-year-old, as a 34-year-old in just two years? Is that something you want to bet on by giving up some of your top prospects, by giving up even someone like an Ian Happ or Kyle Schwarber or what have you? So I, I, I get a lot of the points there. But with Merrifield, the last three years, the value he's been able to generate on the free agent market is worth around $28 million, you know, give or take $5 million, $10 million in either direction. That's going to be an enormous amount for the Cubs to match in prospect equity. I don't know if I'm even going to be that comfortable, though, trading, you know, someone like a Nico Horner for, for Whit Merrifield at that age but it's undeniable it's undeniable that if he's on this team he makes the team so much better you get instantly that leadoff type guy you get instantly someone who has the positional flexibility that we've had with Zobris. maybe not on that same defensive level but someone who has the ability to play second base to play right field to play center field and left field I'm sure if he's asked, it's exactly what Zobris provided for so many years on this team. What is that worth to you? For for me, again, I'm not going to trade, you know, Nico Horner. I'm just not going to do it. I feel like Nico has the potential within not even 2020, but 2021 to match or even surpass his value with uh, Whit Merrifield's value, even as crazy as it is to say. And other pieces on this team, you have to look around, like what else do the Cubs have to offer? That would be maybe someone like Wilson Contreras, even though the the Royals have someone like that. But would you be willing to give up someone like Wilson Contreras, cost controllable, the best offensive bat in the league for Whit Merrifield, who's someone who's a heavy contact guy? I don't know. Or what about Brennan Davis, your top hitting prospect in the minors? Would you be willing to give up someone of that potential for a 31-year-old guy who, again, relies solely on batting average and mostly speed and athleticism. It, it's it's tricky. I get it. The one, I guess, like saving grace with this, though, is his speed is not necessarily the reason why he's stolen so many bases. He has the same speed as Javi Baez, which is great. Javi's fast, but it's only within the top 25% of Major League Baseball. He was able to steal 45 bases with not the fastest speed in the game. That suggests intuition. It suggests the same skill set that Javi has, that natural intuition. So maybe the aging curve for him and the stolen base trajectories for his age may not be as stark as we've seen in the years past, even though, again, he had a pretty stark decrease last year. So it's a, it's a roundabout way of saying 
I want Whit Merrifield, but I'm not really willing to give up Brennan Davis or Nico Horner. I would consider Wilson Contreras, but again, like you have to look at what the Royals are going to be asking for, and it's going to take Contreras plus prospects. It's just probably not going to happen. Yeah, I think I'm on the probably lower end of the the interest spectrum here. I I would be willing to part with certain guys, but when we're talking like Wilson, no way, Schwarber, no way, Nico, no way. Like and who else do you have to offer though? That's the thing. It's like you have one of the most cost controllable, undervalued guys in Whit Merrifield. You're going to have to give up one of them. Well, then I'm not getting Whit Merrifield. <laughs> uh, like Merrifield. If, if we wanted to, you know, like I, I might listen on, you know, someone like Ian Happ if they if they wanted to have that it's discussion. T- it's probably going to take more than Ian Happ, though. Like, like well, this, 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 this is a problem. No, I, I, I get it. Uh, I'm just not really into it. Um, you know, looking at like, and again, like these projections certainly aren't uh, gospel or, or what I would even necessarily prefer to go by. But it's, it's worth just pointing out. Like you look at some of these projections that are available on like, fan graphs and he's right around a league average hitter just looking you know basically if you're looking at steamer and looking at wrc plus they have him at a 99 right for 2020 again these are just projections i i think we've talked a lot on here especially last year with pakoda like they're just projections but it's all to say like uh, how much are we really going to give up for a guy that like certain projection models don't even think is a league average hitter. No, to be to be right? to be fair to be fair though, like it's a little bit different. So I'm not saying they're completely equal, but that's kind of what the Cubs did to get Jose Quintana. The age is different, but the baseline for Q was that of a league average pitcher, and that's exactly what he's become the last two seasons. And they gave up Eloy Jimenez, Dylan Cease, and then some to do that and the, the the value of that was consistency a low baseline and control for multiple years it, there are some parallels that the cubs would be willing to part with some of their top prospects well what they're willing to do and what i'm willing to do is <laughs> kind of different uh, if you're using and and again like i i'm definitely not here to relitigate this uh and i have defended at least the logic of it but using the Q trade as a baseline to convince me to do something is not a very good argument. Uh, I would strive for better is how you I liked would it, though. phrase that. I mean, you were on this podcast saying I liked the deal. And I, I know. Liked, I, and I'm, I, I'm I guilty just, of it, too. I so, just I mean, said that, but I, but it, but I, I, I don't necessarily want to repeat that process. I think Q has been useful and fine. But if we're going to give up a major package, I would like to you know, be getting more than that. So I mean, like uh, again, like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to relitigate the Q trade. It's not the time for that. But I, I, my my point is, like, I, I think again, Wit is a, a useful player. He has skills that clearly this team is lacking. And like you said, you slot him in as your leadoff hitter. His ability to steal bases, even if he's not stealing forty five like he did in twenty eighteen, like his ability to steal. 20 plus bases makes this offense more dynamic. His ability to make contact and hit for average consistently at the top of that order is something that we have been looking for for years now out of that leadoff spot. And and it, so it, it, I, I get the fit, no doubt, but I just am not particularly interested in, in trading some of the higher upside 
uh, younger guys or, you know, even someone like Wilson for a 31-year-old who is extremely BABIP-dependent. I, I think Witt is a good player. He would be a very useful player, and I would take him in a heartbeat as long as the price is right. I, I think that's that's just the key here. I, I'm just, you know, it, like there there was discussion at least on Cubs Twitter today uh, specifically about Nico Horner, and I, I just have no interest in that, man. I, I, I don't know if Nico will ever be exactly the same player as Witt. Uh, you know, Witt's shown maybe a little more power than Nico may develop into. Who knows, right? Uh, but you just have someone that's so young in Nico who's already played at the major league level, gotten a taste of that, showed, I think, fairly well in in that early stint with the Cubs in 2019. Like, I'm, I'm just not into trading all of those years of such a young player for someone in in wit's position and 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 like i think again this is a one of those conversations where it's it's harder to deal with in the hypothetical because we don't know what the price is. We we don't know exactly what we're talking about. So like that that's why I preface the entire conversation by saying that i think it's a question of not whether you're interested in wit's services but exactly what the uh, level you're comfortable with. Uh, and, you know, because he, he razzed me about this, I'm actually going to read this tweet from friend of the podcast, Jeff oh, Everson. No. Oh, no, uh, you're not doing this. You're and doing he it. said, I feel like you can make a case that the Cubs shouldn't trade Nico and or Braylon Marquez for Wit without also saying that Wit is bad. And I think that's kind of what the discourse was a lot of on Cubs Twitter today, where you were either in the camp of like, I, you know, Wit really isn't that good. He's not worth any of these guys. Like, and, and, you know, kind of like denigrating him to the point to like make the argument versus other people who were like, oh no, Wit's perfect for this team. You got to do it. He's such a good fit. Yada, yada. And like, I think there can be a middle ground there is the point. Like, Wit's good. I, he has a lot of traits that I think would really help this team, but there's just, some guys, I, I'm just, I'm not really feeling it. I would be very concerned if the Cubs made the move. I'd be very concerned that it was going to work out for them as as far as the value is concerned. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of dominoes need to fall into place. And I'm with you. I'm not going to trade Nico. I'm not going to trade Brennan Davis. I'm not going to trade any of these top prospects. That right. means, guess what? We're not going to get with Merrifield. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean like, I, I would, and it's a little, little cautious here, but I would entertain a deal if it made sense, if Contreras was the highlight. But, but a, a lot of dominoes need to fall into place. Unfortunately, we've seen the catchy market get slimmer and slimmer. Travis Darnow is now off the market. Right. And so, that was my option where, okay, you can trade Contreras, then maybe you can go out. Zanino and, went to the Rays too. So, okay, so some, there of these, so, I mean, some of these teams that you were maybe bookmarking as potential targets for yeah. Wilson, they're finding their solutions mm-hmm. elsewhere. And it, and it makes a deal for Wilson now all the less likely because, and if they do this, that's that's fine. But for my comfort level, I would not want to trade Wilson if no. you're going to slot in 400 plate appearances guaranteed to Victor Caratini. And now, right right now, it looks like that that has to be the option right. if they do and trade 
Contreras. And this is the point, too. Like, when we were talking about trading Chris Bryant a few episodes ago, this this is what we mean. It's like, you can trade Chris Bryant, and yeah, you may match up on paper with some other teams, but if you're trying to time that with the free Asian market, look how difficult this is. We're seeing right. catchers fly off the board now, and that makes one Contreras more valuable, but two less likely for the Cubs to match that catching value. So now it's not as if they can go out there and trade Contreras. It's 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 difficult to tie him up, and I think we've gotten to the point now where Corey maybe even trading Contreras, it's not as realistic as it once was 72 hours ago and now that changes how the Cubs can operate their entire offseason and why it's so important to get things going like right away to get out in front yeah uh, we we talk about this all the time that a lot of this is not just not just one move you can't look at 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 certain moves in a vacuum because they all kind of play off of each other and then that's kind of what you're talking about here like if you wanted to move Wilson, which I don't think either of us are necessarily like super fond of, but we understand why they would consider it and when why it's one of the better options, at least amongst who the Cubs have available. But if you're going to do that, you have to have that secondary plan for who's doing your catching, who's replicating the offense and where and and what you're doing. And, and it's not always easy to plan everything, multiple moves in advance. And, you know, Wit Wit might also represent that as well because he doesn't cost very much. Like it, it, we were talking about in all these episodes in the past where if the Cubs are operating on a budget, if, if they are needing to get under a certain threshold, I mean, a guy that's providing what Wit is for $4 million, I mean, that, that would be very useful to the Cubs front office in this particular situation. You, you take his offense and what he's going to bring to the team, right? And you're only spending $4 million on it. So you can maybe use any leftover money or if you're able to move money in that deal or other deals, you know, now it opens up other options. But like you said, it's all about finding that match. And for me, I don't like the language that I hear around this, honestly. Like it just sounds like it's going to be too expensive. Um, And I, I I would just be very concerned that they were not going to get the, the get the return that they need uh based yeah. on just some of these offers like if you're trading Nico or Braylon or like you said Brennan Davis like I I, I don't know I I would be very worried that we would regret that one and and you know that it would be good but is he like totally changing the, this team and and pushing them over wherever they need to be from 2019 like i i don't know uh and and that's one too like if you told me okay we're going to do a trade for these guys for wit we're going to give up a lot but we're going to use that leftover money to sign you know, X player, right? Like, you know, I don't know, like Anthony Rendon is is extreme, but you, you know what I mean. Like if, if you could sure. tell me all the moves and then you say, okay, so we're at, we're losing these guys, but we're adding wit. We're going to use that money to add these guys. Like, okay, now I'm seeing the bigger picture. Maybe I could be convinced of it, right? But I, it's it's tough for me to get on board with this. I mean, some of these, some of the proposals that, you know, you hear for wit, I mean, they're laughable. Like if you go to like Royals Twitter and and people that watch the Royals closely and and see what they would want in return, it's it's just a hard pass on on most of them. It's too much for me. So 
that's that's where I am. But I I, I do want to because we're kind of on the topic, and because as usual in this portion of the off season, there's technically nothing to talk about. Um, I, guys, listen, I wanted to talk about Kevin Rizzo for the entire episode. So the fact that we're talking about baseball, you can blame Brendan for that. I wanted to talk about dogs for pretty much the entire time. But sorry, uh, yeah. I I would and and this is a a tough one to contextualize properly, uh, but I'll I'll try to frame it this way. So I'm going to ask you to rank four players based on where you would be comfortable trading them in order from most comfortable trading them to least comfortable trading them. In that question, in that in that premise, let's just assume that. The value for them is not equal, obviously, but whatever you're getting in return, you find to be good, fair value. Does that make sense? Yeah, I got you. Okay. So between these four players, your most comfortable to trade and your least comfortable to trade, meaning your least comfortable to trade, you will rue the day that Theo Epstein gives up on this person and, and lets him play for another team. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, Ian Happ, Nico Horner, Wilson Contreras. I'm not, I, I, there are more people in this organization. We could include more, uh, that are lower than those guys. Probably I'm not including Chris Bryant because a, he would be the number one answer or he should be (laughs) your number one answer and the Cubs really shouldn't trade him. So I'm just going to pretend like those rumors are not happening because that's stupid and not something that the Cubs should do. So Those four players, Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras, Nico Horner, Kyle Schwarber. Keep your whole home running like clockwork. From the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet, you'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Using an overpriced trash bag? Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks? Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Or a smelly bag? Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, Hefty, Hefty! It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, Happy, Happy! Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Most comfortable trading, least comfortable trading. The one guy I'm most comfortable trading is Contreras. And... It's not as if I don't recognize what he brings to the Cubs. He is undoubtedly one of the best, if not the best, National League hitting catchers. Like I fully recognize that. That being said, his defense, particularly his pitch framing, and he was a league average framer by the end of the year in his second half. Fully recognize that. My issue is not so much with Contreras' framing, as it is with where he is in his career. And where he is, is past the point at which most players peak. He's going to be 28 years old in the 2020 season. He's a catcher, an offensive first catcher. And he's already had two uh, bouts of hamstring injuries in three years. He's never had a season more than 550 plate appearances. And I understand, again, it's hard to bring these up without sounding as if I don't appreciate or I don't recognize what he brings. These are just 
literally the facts. Never had a season greater than 550 plate appearances. Last year, he had 409. In 2017, he had 428. Sandwich in the middle is 2018 at 544 when he had a weighted on base average of 321, which was exactly league average for that year. So Contreras, yeah, he's going to go out there when he plays healthy and probably slug. There is a little bit of an issue in the back of my mind where 2018 was a reality, and I don't expect him ever to produce like that again in, in 2018, but it, it did happen. So I think with Contreras, you have to ask yourself the question, what does an aging offensive hitting catcher look like? And we have examples very recently, one in Joe Maurer, two in Buster Posey. Yadi Molina, hate the guy, but he's not an offensive first guy. He has had years of good offense, but he's a defense first type guy. So I think of those four guys you named, you have Contreras, Schwarber, Happ, and Nico. Yeah, I'm most comfortable entertaining a trade for Wilson, despite understanding and realizing that I'm going to need a lot back because in 2020, Wilson has a strong likelihood of being the best offensive catcher in the National League. After Contreras, I'm going to go with number two, uh, probably Ian Happ, and we will probably get into it, but Ian Happ, he just hasn't proven consistency. I'll leave it at that. And then the, the two guys I'm least comfortable trading are Kyle Schwarber, and Nico Horner, um, least comfortable trading of those two, Nico Horner. I, I I would entertain a Schwarber trade for the same reasons I would entertain a Contreras trade. You have two more years before you hit free agency. Schwarber's getting older. He has had inconsistent bouts as well. But I, I, I fully trust and believe that Schwarber will be a top 10 offensive hitting uh, force next year. And for Nico, I believe in the bat. I believe in the athleticism. I believe in the attitude. I believe in the defense. I think he's going to be somewhat similar to like a Whit Merrifield in terms of value. Maybe he won't peak like that, but I just imagine he's someone who has a strong hit tool, who, who could be hitting close to 300, playing multiple positions with high athleticism. So in that order, most comfortable to least comfortable, I got Contreras, I got Ian Happ, I got Schwarber, I got Nico. Yeah, I think we have the same list. That, well, I mean, there's only four guys, so it's not the same list. But the same top two, I would flip Wilson and Hap. I would be most comfortable trading Hap, uh, least comfortable uh, trading Schwarber. Um, okay. And then Nico, second least comfortable, and Wilson, uh, second most or third least, however you want to phrase that. But Again, I, I think this is really just a hypothetical question for fun, just to have something to discuss. Uh, I, I think in general, I would prefer, and I think you would probably agree, Brennan, I'd prefer the Cubs be in a place where they don't really need to trade any of them. Uh, I like these guys, and I you know, I think especially someone like Hap uh, is someone that I've liked you know, before he was even on the major league team, uh, which isn't necessarily a novelty, but it is kind of for me. Uh, and... I would love to give him the chance to see that those adjustments he made throughout, you know, his time uh, up and down in the 2019 season, see if those took hold, see if he can really continue developing into the player uh, that we all envisioned and, you know, kind of putting it all together. But a lot of this discussion and, and where the Cubs are just kind of has to do with timing. 
Uh, and that's the unfortunate reality of baseball and sports and, you know, a lot of things. Like, timing is often more important than anything else. And I, I keep saying this because I don't want anybody to forget it. We're talking about a team that just finished in third place. It's not good enough. And when you look at someone like Hap, I, I just wonder do they have the time to go into the year committing a certain amount of playing time to him just given the inconsistencies that we've seen from him? And again, he's very young and has gone through a lot in his career. He he came, he made it through the the minor leagues very quickly. He was sent back down in a in a, you know, very close to opening day in a situation that obviously he was not expecting and and certainly probably turned his world upside down. So I would hate to give up on him. And in in an ideal world we wouldn't have to, but the the question really just becomes how can this team get better? and improve on where they were. And and we heard from Theo in that end-of-the-year press conference that they maybe stuck with this group. They bet on this group a little too long and got a little too comfortable with just kind of hoping guys would take that next step, etc. And I just wonder, you know, you can't really keep doing that, right? Like, you didn't win the division. You didn't even make the playoffs last year. You didn't win the division for two years in a row. Like, it's kind of time to maybe get a little aggressive with some of these things. And as we've discussed before, like, Hap might have value still in, in trade discussions. Guys like Addison Russell, Albert Amora, they do not. So, while you maybe would prefer to be moving other guys, they're not going to help you whatsoever. So that's kind of why I end up with Hap as the number one guy. Um, You know, I think Wilson, again, like my comfort level there and the reason he's below Schwarber and Nico is really just because his value is probably the highest, uh, you know, especially to certain teams. Uh, and like you said, Brendan, like, you know, there's there's the value of framing and things like that, especially as we've talked about with the particular staff that the Cubs have. Uh, that one really is just, I just recognize that might just be the most practical, right? Yeah. Um, Nico, I, I, I really liked what we saw from him in the 2019 season. Uh, his composure, his professionalism, just the way that he transitioned as a 22-year-old playing Major League Baseball, uh, especially in the situation that he was coming up in, uh, you know, replacing an injured Javi Baez in the middle of a division race, like for a team that has crazy expectations is not easy. And I thought Nico handled himself very well. And just someone of that age is not really someone I'm particularly fond of giving up on. Uh, And I have Schwarber at the top of the list. Like he just started to look like the guy we've all been waiting for in that second half. And obviously uh, you need him to repeat that. But I, we, we've been talking about maybe trading and, and giving up on Kyle Schwarber for a very long time, even before he debuted in the major leagues with the Cubs. Now is not the time to, you know, we're <laughs> finally seeing it. Like of all times, now is not the time to do it. Uh, as we've, you know, has a lot has been made of the fact that he ended up having a better offensive second half than Nick Castellanos. And we all know how we felt about what Nick Castellanos was doing. Schwarber was better than him. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're finally starting to see that. We got to see if he can put that together uh, for a full season. I'm not that that one. I'm not willing to uh, bail out on right now. But it's it's an interesting discussion. And like I said, all four of those guys would net you 
a different value in return to different teams. Their their perceived value would be very different. But I, I just think it's an interesting discussion as you would. We hear these names come up a lot. Um, some more than others. And, you know, again, it just sort of feels like we're at the point where we're going to have to face this reality with some of these guys, whether uh, we want to or not. So I think it's just an interesting question to see where your, uh, you know, where your comfort level might be. And and like I said, I think if you asked me this question six months ago, a year ago, maybe if you asked me in six months, these answers are always different because it's, it's so much about timing. A for the individual players, but also just for the team. And and I think the the if we're talking about a Cubs team that won the division, made the playoffs, and you know maybe just suffered a loss to the Braves or something like that, like maybe this is a different discussion. Maybe the urgency level isn't that high. Maybe the overall feeling about where this roster is isn't as dire as it feels at times in this offseason. But when we're talking about a third place team, like you're going to have to be okay, I think, making some changes. I'm not really sure uh, how else you can expect for different results. But uh, yeah, I that that was interesting at least I'd be curious to know where everybody else lands uh on that comfort level I'm sure we'd get a wide range of of opinions on on the comfort there but uh that is where Brendan and I land on that I I feel like Ian Happ doesn't get enough respect for what he's done and in his career which spans over 1,000 plate appearances now he has a WOBA of 343, a WRC plus of 112. The Cubs fell off the end of the earth in September last year. Ian Happ did not. Ian Happ finished 2019 with 156 plate appearances and a 368 WOBA. That's the same WOBA as Contreras in like 70% fewer plate appearances. But the point remains every year. 2017 rookie 349 Woba. 2018 329 Woba. Last season 368 Woba. This is the guy who's consistently performed despite having some of those hiccups that sent him back to AAA. He's not going to be a free agent until the 2024 season. That means 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. Ian Happ has club control. So I I will say, if Kyle Schwarber can net back a comparable return where you're getting, no doubt about it with Schwarber, you're getting back a three-win player. Maybe that's at third base. Maybe that's at second base. Maybe that's still in the outfield. But if you get back a comparable return for Schwarber, because Schwarber's going to be a free agent in two years, and his escalating R prices might be an issue with the payroll flexibility. Then I'm changing how I think about this, because if Hap gets some of these chances, and you can mitigate the risk by getting, again, comparable return for Kyle Schwarber, then I might be changing my tone. Because there's few players in the league right now who have a career weighted on base average of 343 with four more seasons of team control. And that probably will be used by Theo Epstein in the front office to to trade Ian Happ and get back some type of big package. But I feel as if when we talk about all four of these guys and just any of these young guys on the Cubs, Ian Happ sometimes, and I admit this too, for me is an afterthought. He's anything but. 
four more years of this guy who's already proven to adjust, has been proven to be a better than league average player, has already proven, Corey, to want to play multiple positions. He played shortstop, second, third, first, left, center, and right field at some point. He was taking grounders at shortstop with David Bodie last year. Ian Happ, he wants to win. He wants to be part of this group. And again, I think if Schwarber can net comparable value back in a trade, I may be switching my thought because four years of this type of guy with Ian Happ is difficult, if not impossible right now to find on the market. Yeah, I, look, I'm totally with you. Uh, I, as I said, to kind of preface that conversation, I, I would prefer to not move any of these guys. I, I love these four guys. And in an ideal world, like we've talked about, you trim the fat from the roster, guys like Descalso, Elmora, Russell, etc., for varying degrees. Maybe and that's what they do, man. You, I'm serious. Like, where else can you find some of these guys to, to move? Like, I feel even despite Hap's strong suits, he had that bout of where yeah. he had to go to AAA. So, I like, you may not even, you may be selling low on Ian Hap, is what I'm saying. No, if you're like, selling low on Ian Hap, like, why even trade him? Maybe they, like, maybe they can't make these trades that we want. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going, is that in an ideal world, they would trim the fat, they would sign better players, uh, and you wouldn't have to move these guys. But I think the reason we end up in these discussions is that's just not really how this is going to work. They, they clearly need to be conscious of the payroll and the, the longer-term picture for some of these contracts. And so that leads us to, okay, well, you might have to trade some of these guys to replenish your system to bring in different major league guys whatever it is so in an ideal world I'm not having this discussion about Ian Happ I I don't want to trade him like I said I've liked him since day one Uh, but that does you know getting rid of the guys that weren't contributing and just finding better ones doesn't really seem to be uh, how this is going to go for the Cubs. So I think that's why we end up discussing these other realities. Uh, that's just where we are. I, I, I wish that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, I think I think most of us wish that the Cubs would go out, just sign Anthony Rendon, maybe sign Garrett Cole, just spend a ton of money, move Chris Bryant to the outfield, and call it a day, right? Like, and just be done with it. Okay, this team is better now, right? Like, but that's not that's not going to happen. So we have to kind of figure out other ways around this. So uh, it is what it is. And it's it's a very interesting offseason because you kind of just feel like something can drop at any moment. Uh, you know, and we were, uh, you know, kind of talking before the show, uh, you know, about like Ian Happ posting on Twitter today uh, that he, you know, does anybody miss the Cubs? And it was a picture of him and Jason Hayward. And, you know, you're always looking at it going like, I don't know if this guy's going to be on the team in four months, right? Like same with some of these other guys. And it sucks. Uh, But that's, I, uh, you know, unfortunately, just the nature of the business here. So we'll be here to break it all down if it happens uh and yeah and uh, you know if we're wrong we'll just delete these episodes if you know uh they they trade a guy that we didn't want them to trade and it works out or vice versa we'll just pretend we didn't have these conversations because obviously brendan and i are never wrong never ever yeah so that's uh just the way that things need to be so 
I, I think that's all we have. Uh, I know it's been, you know, we're, we're over, you know, it's, it, it's been a long-ish podcast, and I haven't said this yet, so I'm really shoehorning this in here. I, I don't have a very good way of naturally getting it into the fold here, but the Cubs did win the 2016 World Series. I don't want anybody <laughs> yes, they to, did correct, I don't yeah. want anybody to in forget that. Yeah. Even if I don't have a a graceful transition to bring that in. But uh, you can bet that I will say that on every episode. So uh, we will come back to you in a week unless something major happens, in which case we will jump on right away to break things down. And hopefully we we get some action here uh, as it relates to the Cubs. That seems to be the next step. We have dealt with the coaching staff. We have dealt with the front office. We've dealt with the development infrastructure structure. The next thing to deal with is filling out that 40-man roster and figuring out who is going to be on that opening day group for the 2020 Chicago Cubs. So uh, you can count on the Cubs-related podcast to cover anything that goes on uh, with the Cubs throughout this offseason. Hope you all have a a wonderful holiday if you're doing something uh, for Thanksgiving this week. If you're not, hope you have a good time doing whatever it is you're doing. Uh, Spent with family, friends, by yourself, whatever you decide to do, Brennan and I hope you have a nice time doing it. Hopefully you're off of work for at least a day and can enjoy that. Uh, But whatever you're doing, hope it's a good time. Hope you are happy and uh, that the holiday season finds you in a good place. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs related podcast, especially in the off season uh, when we're just rambling about which players we love, we would be comfortable trading, even though we're comfortable trading none of them. Uh, so we thank you guys for for joining us in that regard. And as always, we will end this show by saying, "Go Cubs!" There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.